Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that we promise is not profiteering on the back of our listeners. I'm Scott Phillips. He is Andrew Page, the man, the myth, the legend, the bloke behind strawman.com, which I'm going to have to tell you, Andrew, is an online private investment club. Holy moly. You're right. And I, and I tell you that for a couple of reasons. One is because, well, let's just say I got some response from our listeners who said the joke might be getting a little bit old. <laughs> And I am nothing if not a man of the people. I'm nothing if not so badly ego-driven that I need people to keep listening. And if I've offended anybody by continuing this joke way too long and they're getting sick of it, like, I kind of have to listen. I, I, I am nothing if not a vessel through which our listeners' hopes and dreams can be achieved. <laughs> so very, I know very for a fact you. that strawman.com is online private investment. I, like, I, may, I may change that in the future, frankly. I may forget again. I don't know. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mix it up a little bit. This time I'm going to say that's what it is. One episode is at a time. We'll take it step One, by step. <laughs> Exactly. That's very, uh, very football cliche of you. Just taking one game at a time. We're just going to, you know, play, play what's in front of us. We're not going to yeah. think about the grand final. We're just going to, just going to think about this game and see what we can do. Uh, game of two halves. Played as a team. Full credit to the boys. That's it. That's it. Speaking of which, uh, full credit to you, Andrew Page. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Nice. Uh, nice. Busy with reporting season. Um, yeah. But yeah, what's what's your vibe so far reporting season? So obviously we talk a lot about the market and then you make a point regularly that we don't invest in the market. So there's two ways to look at this one. Mm. Um, it's also true that we all love our portfolios more than everyone else's portfolios. So even our own personal experiences, while important to us, probably don't matter all that much to our listeners. So let's try and let's try and cross that chasm if we can in one jump rather than two, because crossing mm. a chasm in two jumps is generally a bad idea. <laughs> um, what's uh, what, what have you seen? What are you feeling? What have you heard? What's the vibe? What's 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 the uh, well, yeah? What's the vibe? What's the vibe? As the markets, the market seems pretty unforgiving. Um, oh, doesn't it? You know, that's a great way to start. <laughs> there yeah. was, there are time. Well, there was a time not too long ago, and there there are regularly times where mm. the market's very much primed to see and react to the positive, and there's there's yes. the opposite yes. of that. And it seems at the moment that if there's any hint or whiff of of bad news on the horizon, not even necessarily yeah. bad news, but just not as good as as, as we were all hoping, the reaction yeah. can be pretty swift and, and pretty brutal. And there are other times, as you say, like when you look at your own stocks, had a few report and yeah, really happy with the result. I mean, didn't not blow it out of the water. I mean, you'd be really happy if it came in three times higher than you thought and the market jumped up 50%, obviously. <laughs> right. but, are, we just, are we just grumpy because things are down? Is that what you're saying? Well, just you look at some things and you go, what's wrong with that? That's that's exactly what I would have hoped. <laughs> yeah. You know, just just decent and, and not... Uh-huh. not uh, Maybe, maybe in that regard, the share price shouldn't do anything because yeah. if, if it was what the market was expecting, but it just it seems to me for a few of there there is an we've said many times before there's a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff out there that's beaten down that deserves to be beaten down, right? It's probably mm-hmm. the the abnormal part was more likely a year ago, and this is probably <laughs> this is probably closer to normal. But there are others mm-hmm. amongst mm-hmm. that where I kind of think no, you've been unfairly tarnished in all mm-hmm. of this, and things seem a little bit cheap. But this is. This is the big battle with investing. You know, you sort of, you feel as though you see something, uh, you you take a position and the waiting just kills you. You know, in hindsight, these sort of these periods or a year or two might not seem that long, but when you're living through it, it's sort of, you know, and if you're prone to sort of check prices yeah. more often than you should, you just think, come on. But, you know, that's that's the game we play. It is, it is. It's, um, I, I've said this before, mate. I I don't, maybe it's just, maybe it's just recency bias, but, I reckon, I'm going to say, I think it was oh, maybe 2020. Um, 
uh, probably 2019 actually now, actually I think about it. So it's been a few years. But it felt like at that point, there was a real, you know, I've been doing this for a while. And, you know, a bad result will get punished with a 4 or 5% share price drop and a good result will get a, a nice little gain. Mm. Uh, prior to that, I reckon from about 2019, I think it was, because I, I think it was pre-COVID. If I, I mean, <laughs> the, the COVID years are all very fuzzy. It could have been a year, could have been 2019 was like a century <laughs> yeah, ago. Exactly. But it felt like that was that, that earnings season was the one, I think it was the February of that year, where I kind of, we started to get lots and lots and lots of 30% moves, particularly down moves on, on disappointing news. Like really, really, excuse me, outsized moves. Mm. <coughs> is that your, um, is that your, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, I don't know that it's changed much since then. It feels like that was, there's some step change. Um, I'm tempted <sighs> I made this observation before. People say, oh, it's algorithms, it's high-frequency traders, it's all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's that simple, honestly, but I'm not sure it's not either. Yeah. Um, there, does seem, there does seem a lot of, maybe it's just short-termism, maybe it's not wanting to get caught, maybe it's once things start falling, you want to get up before they fall further. Mm. Do, do you have a sense of, of kind of what you think is driving that, I'm going to say overreaction, I think it is, but or at least mostly. Do you have a sense of what's driving that sort of reaction, that sort of response? I think it's the same kind of reaction that's always sort of been there. Maybe it's a bit more multiplied these days, but you, we, we, we take a lot of social cues in life in general, but <laughs> in do. investing as well. I was speaking to a fund manager the other day, and there's a company called Cogstate, really interesting company that does um, brain testing of all things, all kinds okay. of relationships oh, yeah, yeah. with Alzheimer's. That's right. Treatment, yes. pro- really fascinating program. We spoke to the CEO on Strawman not too long ago. Uh, anyway, it's had this really big fall out of the blue recently, and actually right. got issued by a, a, um, a issued with a speeding ticket from the ASX and went into a trading halt and rah rah. And I was just speaking to to this guy and, and just sort of like, well, what what sort of behind things? I don't know, but I but I heard that. You know, such and such could have was was selling, and you know, it, it, it not that it re- changed their view of the business or anything like mm-hmm. that, but the fact that even someone who's very alert to that was was asking the question, was looking at that, it is a cue that you have, and then it does prompt that that well, what do they know that I don't know? <laughs> and yeah. in times of where where the needle's more towards the pessimistic rather than the optimistic side of, of things, <laughs> it does nag at you a little a little bit more. And I, I think those things mm. feed on on themselves and, and to some for, for some uh, operators a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, pull the trigger, sell, get the hell out, something's happening and we'll worry about it later. Now is that the right thing to do? Well not necessarily, but I think I think it is that that lemming-like herding behavior that we humans like to pretend that doesn't happen to us, but very much happens to us. I, I think that's a yeah, big right. part of it. Yeah, I. it's just the fact that it's got worse. I don't know whether the markets are more of a hair trigger. As you say, I know it was always true. Those comments you make are always true. Just feel, and maybe maybe it's not, maybe it hasn't changed at all. Maybe I'm just imagining it. But it, just, it really felt like that year. I think it was definitely a February, and I think it was 2019, where all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, things are falling out of bed. Like really overly um, exaggerated responses to mm-hmm. things that I, I think wouldn't have fallen so far, at least in my experience. Again, yeah, maybe, maybe that all, is the algos. You know, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really weird. It, it's also... <laughs> It's also a reminder, mate, and it's just one of the... This is not a new observation. This is something that people have said forever and we will say forever and we've said forever. But the idea that you need to have a different view to the market to be right mm. continues to be, I think, to my mind, a really important source of, of potential value. 
And I also on the way up and the way down. I looked at Appen shares the other day. I'm, ne- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take half a victory lap here. <laughs> Only in the sense that I've never been a fan of Appen, right? As a business, mm. as, as an investment, sorry, I should say. Um, I lo- the Mark Brain, the CEO, is a great guy. I uh, have dealt with him in previous companies. Really good guy. They're, they're out there trying to do what they can. Shares went from 2 bucks to $40 and back to about $3 recently. Mm. That is an almighty story of excitement and then, and then crashing to earth. Now, mm. you could have bought it too, sold it 40, you look like a genius. You bought it 40, you're now holding it three, you feel like an idiot. And over time, if you bought it two and now you hold it at three, you've probably still gained 50%. So you can, you kind of, you know, it's like everything with any of these things, it's a matter of where you bought the shares. Um, by the way, I have an issue with the market. People say, oh, look at the last high and then the current low and that's the fall. It's like, well, you can't just pick two points. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick two points necessarily other than to say, there is a lot of sentiment driving a lot of what's been going on. And I think you have to, well, obviously you have to, if you're a long-term investor, if you're using fundamentals to invest, if, you're, if your view is that you look at the business, you understand what's going on, you buy the shares at a good price, you let the business do the work. And that's, I think, broadly speaking, our combined individually, but together, our view of how value is most likely created and the best way to invest. You kind of have to ignore the crowd, and it's and it's it's axiomatic. And it's obvious a lot of people are coming. Yeah, fine, Phillips. Thanks very much. We, surprise, surprise. We already knew that, but this is where it's hardest, right? Mm. Um, we'll talk about a company in a minute that, that got smashed during the week, and maybe the market's right, or maybe the market's wrong. But either way, you have the choice. You had the choice to sell or not, or to buy more before the shares got smashed. You have a choice after the shares get smashed to sell or to buy more, and. It's, it's it's just it literally is the point if you want to beat the market you can't just do what the market does that you have to find those opportunities where a you want to avoid the ones where the market's getting it horribly wrong and it's overpriced i would argue up at 40 dollars was exactly that you also have to recognize or try and recognize where the market's getting it wrong on the other side where an overreaction or or too much pessimism is impacting the share price or a lack of understanding of the business those ideas you are literally every time you buy shares unless you're buying an ETF and want to match the market, which is great. If you want to buy shares to beat the market, you need to find times where you say, hey, market, you're wrong about this. And if I buy it, I'm going to do well. And that's really mentally, emotionally tough, particularly because, again, we said this before, the market doesn't know you just bought the shares, doesn't care you just bought the shares. And even if you are eventually right, the market doesn't realize you're right on day one of owning them. Oh, Scott should bought the shares. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's really smart. He must be right about that company. Therefore, the shares will go up. It just doesn't work that way. And, yeah. and you might have to wait for days, weeks, months, even years being wrong, air quotes wrong, until eventually you either, you either are wrong because that's always possible. Maybe the market was right in the first place. But if the market was wrong, you have to wait till it recognizes that error. And that can be a very lonely, very scary, and frankly, during earnings season, really painful experience. Oh, yeah, 100%. And you, I really want to double down on that point. It's, it's a lovely first principles point that you have. When, you, when you're buying shares, you're Im- implicitly saying that they're cheap. And when you're selling them, you're saying they're expensive, or perhaps yes. there are other, other circumstances in your yeah. life that require you. But you know, all else being equal, yeah. that, that generally speaking, yeah, it, ha- yeah. it has to be the case. Uh, if a market is efficient, you'll hear this term around. You know, <laughs> it, it basically means that price, the prices accurately reflect all future cash flows. Mm-hmm. And if the market is perfectly efficient, you'll probably get an average return, probably a decent yep. one. You know, above what yep. you'd get in bonds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's that's kind of the definition. So if you're mm. happy with just that, and this is the way index 
uh, investors operate and it makes a lot of sense <laughs> and it does really well. But on a, on a stock specific level, if, if the market is perfectly efficient, you'll get an okay average return. So you, you want better mm-hmm. than that if you're bothering to pick stocks. And so you, you, you have to be saying it's cheap. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and then um, as you rightly say, you just have to wait for that to play out. But this is where we're going to mess with your head. You used Appen as an example before. So back in 2017, the share price was about what it is now. Um, it's just that their their sales uh, actually no let me, let, let's 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 not even do sales let's do profit because it's a, a profitable business and let's do it on a per share basis to account for any change in the in the number of um, shares on issue their per share earnings from 2017 were 20 cents and now they're close enough to 40 cents well they were at the end of the last uh, at the end of uh, 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 the last time that they've reported. So need need some more updated on that. Maybe it'll fall back a little bit. But through to that mm. period, that's been an, a, a doubling in the amount of profit that it's taken. And the yeah. share price hasn't moved. Now, obviously, a right, hell right, of a lot right. happened between all of those points. But Funny but my right. point is, if, if I went back in yeah. my DeLorean and I and I said to you in 2017, <laughs> this you know the per share earnings of this business are going to double uh, yeah, through to yeah. through to the end of 2021, uh, you'd think fantastic. This this thing is this thing's actually cheap. So, yeah, yeah. so stuff is all going is all going to mess mess with your head, and so, and this yeah. is the, the unfortunate reality is is you've you've got to make two guesses. You can call it forecasts mm-hmm. if if you like, but you've got to make two guesses. What's the business going to do? Is the mm-hmm. first point. And the second point is what's the market going to do yeah. in recognition of what the business does. Now both are diabolically hard. It's just that the latter is <laughs> is is like a hundred x harder. So mm-hmm. so as we were sort of talking off air, I think that the unfortunate reality is is you just don't play that game. Focus on yeah. the business. Sometimes you'll it'll 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 you know based on on your your perception of that mm-hmm. business and and its outlook. Sometimes it'll just be objectively cheap. Sometimes it'll be objectively ex- expensive. As we've said many times before, you don't want to try and overthink that too much and trade in and out, in and out. <laughs> but it's more about sort of basing the foundation of your investment on the business and then being a little bit more reactive in terms of the share price. And again, let me emphasize: I'm not saying you, you're trading around that, but you are yeah. you are being more aggressive when it's objectively cheap and you're being more defensive when it's objectively expensive. Now let me let me wallow in some in some losses at the moment mate. Let me let me salve my wounds by exposing my losses to the general public at least to our listeners. Um, in, in an example of exactly that because I own shares in Domino's Pizza. Those shares fell 24% I want to say on Wednesday when the company announced that sales went up. So they did. Profit went down uh, largely because of inflationary pressures. Uh, they also seem to be uh, giving their franchisees a bit of a leg up, um, trying to protect franchisee margins and maybe taking a hit at the corporate level to do so. At least based on some, we're looking some of the through some of the um, the comments that were made. And so <laughs> that's I, I my, my a couple of things I suppose. First is the shares could have been objectively too expensive twenty four hours earlier. And so that just, you know, the fall simply recognises that, hey, Phillips, you're an idiot. You should have known or should have expected or you shouldn't have paid that much for the shares. The alternative, well, there's two alternatives. One is that maybe the shares were reasonably priced then. Now they're just 25% cheaper and therefore much better value. Or both were wrong. They were too expensive then, they're too cheap now and the real value is somewhere in between. That, By definition, they, they are always, I guess there's one which is exactly fairly valued, I suppose. But that's a, they could, they kind of be in fairly value in both, in both circumstances. No. So my my question or my my and it goes to your point, right? And I think I, I have a, I have a, I have a view, but tell me if I'm wrong because I you know it's a, it's a worthwhile conversation. I am not surprised in the slightest that 
things get hard for discretionary retailers. And Domino's is a retail, it's a fast food retail, but it's a retail. Um, it's a business that was always, it's, it's in the value end of the market. Prices are going up in terms of costs are going up. They're always going to have to either pass on big cost increases or bear the brunt. On top of that, at some point, maybe demand falls. I would have expected that demand actually moves from the expensive places to Domino's because it's just cheaper. And if you want to you know, take away meal or, or something, you down trade to Domino's potentially. Maybe you don't. Um, but it, it, I'm not, none of, the, none of the results really particularly surprised me. I can't say I, I didn't have a I didn't have a prediction. I do forecast. I think it's generally useless, and it kind of you know it's, it's anyone's guess, right? So there's there's inflation, there are consumer pressures, sales were up a bit, uh, but profit was down. Now the market then says, oh that sucks. Shares are down twenty four percent. There's there's a couple of ways I could have played this, mate. I could have said, hey, and this might have been months ago, days ago, weeks ago, hey. Earnings season, retail stocks, recession, downturn, inflation, all too hard. Sell everything because they're all going to crash. And why would you bother? The other view is, hey, uh, I'm a long-term investor. I only care about the five-year view. I'm going to buy stuff that thinks it's going to be worth more in five years' time. Now, there is something in between that, which is, sure, but if you're going <laughs> even if you're a long-term investor, why would you choose to absorb losses when you don't have to you could buy those shares back in a month's time cheaper so i could have sold them a week ago bought them back yesterday the day before 25 percent cheaper hey i'm a genius um look at i still believe in the five-year story but why was i holding during that period now my my general view is i'm not i'm not a trader and while we know clearly in hindsight what happened with dominoes it was entirely possible the market might have said hey cool we expected that share doesn't move or the company said the outlook is actually really bright and so she has to go up because yeah, it was a tough result but the future is super, super bright and so everything's okay. Now I, I <laughs> you know, it, it feels obvious in hindsight to look back and go, well, dear Fred, why didn't you sell those shares? Of course, they were going to crash. They fell. Why would you hold them? You know, everyone knew, everybody knew discretionary retail was in trouble. Everybody knew you should have been holding those shares. Why didn't you sell them? And there's some people listening to this podcast now who are saying exactly that. I sold all my discretionary shares a month ago, Phillips. I'm smarter than you. What the hell are you doing? Why didn't you realize? I'm not sure whether they're wrong because <laughs> maybe I'm just being stubborn and, and not very thoughtful and, you know, just saying, well, I'm a long-term investor. So I have to hold them where, where a more pragmatic person might have said, dude, it's just money. Sell the shares and buy them back later. Why, why, would, you, why would you do that? Mm. Um, now, I'm also mindful in some alternative universe Domino's pizza is up 15% today and I'm a genius for holding or not selling and thank God I didn't sell because the shares are up. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on your therapist couch here. Andrew. What, what, uh, what do you say? What have, I, what have I got right? What have I got wrong? What should I have done differently? It's so hard, isn't it? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I look back in the last year and I think my regret was, again, that why didn't I take more quote unquote profits when things are at very high levels, you look back now and go, yeah, that was a little bit overstretched, et cetera, et cetera. And again, I could have avoided all that problem. The reason why I didn't, I think, is because the le- you know, generals always fight the last war. And the last war I was, the internal psychological war I was fighting in my head prior to the last 12 months was the regret of having been too clever and trying to anticipate short-term things and selling down on things on valuation concerns and the rest of it, only to watch them go up another 30%, 40%. So, you know, you, you, it's really hard. The other, the other consideration too is, and it's a very real one, I don't think you should ever base your investment decisions on tax entirely, but it's a factor. And if you're selling 
and paying full freight tax on that and then buying uh, yeah. back, you have to yeah. make a much bigger gain to offset to offset the tax loss as well. So that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a. I mean, that's not a that's not a problem if you're in a loss, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> but but hopefully, as a long term investor, in a lot of cases, you're in you're in, in a gain as well. Mm-hmm. So, mate, it, it's it's really tough. It comes back to what I said before. I just I just choose not to play that game. I, that, people mm-hmm. who say that you should do that are right. They are 100% mm-hmm. right because obviously that's what you should do, but it does depend on the on the fact that you can do that. And <laughs> and I don't want to speak for other yeah. people, but no, investing is very much a, a process of self-discovery and self-learning. <laughs> and I have learned myself that I just can't do it. Just can't time the market. Yeah. When you kind of I've definitely got Strong opinions loosely held is the phrase in mm-hmm. terms of what the, where the market's at, what's going to happen, what the economy's doing. I've de- definitely got a view on that. But I've also, as you say, been doing it long enough to know that <laughs> just you're just always wrong. Well, I am anyway. And often enough, not right often enough to base any sensible investment strategy around it that just wouldn't, wouldn't be pure, pure speculation. But again, I would say in the case of your poor bugger in terms of dominoes, like, <laughs> you know, if you're right, you're right, and you'll. This will be one of yeah. those things when, in in five years' time, you look back. It's it's like the many examples you see with Domino's <laughs> and elsewhere, where it's just one of those. Yeah, oh, do you yeah. remember? Remember in early 2023, and it fell off like that. And often you'll you'll see it as a buying opportunity. Um, mm. It's interesting, though, isn't it, with with Domino's because um, it is a discretionary uh, in the discretionary part of the economy. But I'd actually mm. argue it's a pretty defensive business because just. Yeah. There's a thing called there's a thing called the the lipstick effect, which I think sort of yeah. loosely applies here, where people definitely cut back when times are tough. But it tends to be the big ticket mm-hmm. items, the holidays, the cars, the renovations, the new couch, that that kind of stuff. We tend mm-hmm. to want to treat ourselves to the smaller things. And as you rightly said as well, like there's there's even in the harshest of times, people will be getting a lot of takeaway. It's just just the modern culture that we have. It's a very big part of. Of, of what we do we might not we might not be getting the the expensive you know meal at a sushi restaurant or something like that but a domino's <laughs> pizza is easy to yeah, justify yeah, when the yeah. kids are screaming in the backyard and you know well, <laughs> just over it yeah, 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 yeah. exactly exactly Hi- so, hypothetically we wouldn't know anything about that but hypothetically yeah yeah so it, it, i feel look i don't have a position in domino's i haven't looked at mm. it closely for a while but i i i tend to think that um they their inevitable response to inflation, if it is indeed stickier than than perhaps a lot a lot of people believe, they'll, they'll just put their prices up, so they'll be more expensive. But the point would be the counterpoint would be they'll still be the best value. Mm. Now I know that the pizza aficionados out there are screaming, at me, <laughs> "I would never eat a Domino's pizza." Yeah, but lots of people do. That's that's the yeah, point, you know. Absolutely. And 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 the people 100%. that eat at Domino's eat there because of the convenience and because it's just 100%. super 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 cheap. So yep. prices yep. of those pizzas could go up twenty percent. But whatever pri- whatever anchovies have done, I don't know what the commodity price of anchovies <laughs> have done lately. <laughs> but if they've gone up for Domino's, they've gone up for everyone as well. Yeah. So you. Y- y- you really want to, I've said that made this point before when it comes to retail and it's such a valuable insight I think is is not mine by the way I forget where I heard it from but it's it's the idea that you want to very carefully choose where you are on the value spectrum you either want to be at the very bottom and we just do cheap and nasty but we're the cheapest you know and that's yep. that's what yep. you come here for we're, we're for the tight asses we're for the people like you and me, um, and all you're at the two, pre- two for one. Two for one Tuesdays just quietly on Domino's. I, I do own shares, but I will say I, I may I may possibly have have uh, indulged in two for one Tuesday in last in this last week. Yep, uh, absolutely. <laughs> then you've got then you've got people who go for no. We're 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 at the top mm. end. There's a pizza joint near ours. It's just like a super expensive. But 
my goodness, the mm. pizza is just so fantastic, you know. Yeah. And you, and and it's it's where you don't want to be is in the middle of the spectrum because then you're fighting mm. competitors on two fronts. You're fighting the value crowd. You're fighting the premium crowd. At least you're if you if you're at the extreme, you can just defend your patch. And mm. I tend to prefer if 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 I'm not, not not a specific remark to, to the dominoes, but all else being equal, I tend to prefer the the top end because mm. those people tend to be less price sensitive. Um, mm. You know, if, if you're selling the top, the best, I don't know, whatever it is, pizza, shoe, handbag, whatever, you'll always be able to attract a, a pretty good premium. And people are buying you mm. not because it's good value, but because of the status, the quality, everything else that sort of is implied through all of that. Yeah, I'm way off topic there. Sorry, mate. But no, it's, no, it's no, it's it's a it's a good point. And like that's and that's so. Look, I, I will I will defend myself. Maybe against the indefensible. Maybe uh, maybe just because I feel better about it. But also, hopefully, at least to some degree, uh, as a uh, as a as a way to explain what I do and why I do it. And that is that I think in hindsight we obviously say, well, of course, Domino's fell twenty five percent. Now here's the thing: you will have people say, well, everyone knew that was going to happen. Except if everyone knew that was going to happen, the shares wouldn't have been twenty five percent more expensive yeah, than exactly. previous day. By definition, like literally, literally yeah. by definition, exactly. Um, you might have thought so. And by the way, the other thing is, we also do a bit of the. Uh, of course, I knew that, and the things I didn't get right, I, don't, I ignore myself, or I don't tell anyone else about. Exactly. Right, it's like the bloke who wins at the at the tab. I, I, I picked the winner of the fifth on Saturday. Oh, well done. Have you done it? Well, recently? That, that, no, was no, that was Nostradamus's. Years, you know? That was Nostradamus's secret, right? Just to make right. a lot of predictions. <laughs> Just make a lot. <laughs> Wait for some of them to come true. Exactly. Uh, and then do the Michael will be up or down today. I promise. Yeah, Exactly, dead flat by my luck, but yeah. Um, so I think I think that's I think that's part of the story. Is we are so first of all, Monday morning quarterbacking. We're looking backwards, saying, "Well, of course, everyone knew that was going to happen." Uh, you will get plenty wrong. I will get plenty wrong in terms of the short term, and and really, honestly, your, your chance of being right are, are open to interpretation. Uh, I, I, I. <sighs> The problem is that you mentioned as we started, mate, the idea of the business and the sentiment piece. And that's a really great way to think about this one because you had to not only predict what the business was going to do, but also how the market would respond to it. And there have been circumstances. I, I vividly remember last October, and I might have said this before, I, I made uh, you know one of my re- regular kind of ish tweets of just a bit of a bit of reminding people hey by the way remember markets go up sometimes and you know don't don't get caught in too much doom and gloom that goes up over time all that kind of stuff just a, a bit of a kind of reality check for people on twitter and i had some people say yeah yeah well you wait till monday it's going to crash or yeah october's going to be terrible or whatever now the market went up on that particular monday and then i think it was october was a really great month for the markets and so you know those people said to me oh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call them out on twitter and you know rub their nose in it because it's not my thing and it doesn't really matter except that if they'd said well the market it was they would have a month later tweeted at me and said hey look i told you it was gonna be down mm-hmm. and i think that's just it's just that kind of idea of you know what the market what the businesses do what the market do are different things and i think as you said know yourself as an investor know where you think your source of returns are going to come from mm-hmm. and if you can Good luck to you. If you can genuinely trade the market and do well with this sort of stuff, then go for it. Um, there are other businesses that are up, by the way, recently, um, despite bad results because their outlook was better or because the market was already too pessimistic and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't feel, I mean, I say, hate losing money. I hate losing money from our members even worse, by the way. that that It's a recommendation of ours, which really sucks. So members who are listening, if you bought the shares, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I don't see anything different about the long-term business. It, it's, it's a business that is, it has really good long-term legs i think i think to your point mate maybe in the downturn it goes well maybe it doesn't but there's plenty open they've opened something like 40 so here's the thing they're, they're trading on 26 times 2019 earnings now that's four years ago four three and a half years ago but i say that because that was the last clean year of earnings take all the covid ups and downs out 
26 times 2019 earnings and since they opened 44% more stores. So you kind of go, well, hang on, that doesn't seem, you know, on a, on a base underlying earnings basis. Now, those new stores are open, maybe they're not as profitable as the old ones, or maybe the markets there are not. So I'm not even saying it should be worth that much more. Just broadly speaking, if you look at the underlying earnings power of the business, say, isn't this a business that's going really, really well? I think objectively it is. Um, and you can try and trade sentiment. You can try and trade short-term market movements or economic movements. And maybe you'll do okay. Good luck to you if you do. Um, but remember, shares go up over time market goes up over time generally not every share not every company not every market not every time period but generally speaking um and so betting against that i think is generally not the most probabilistically successful way to try and invest yep uh yeah i mean but there'll be people out there going no i hear what you're saying increase stores and all, all the rest of it and we'll have a, a, a different view on that and that's fantastic because that's what makes the market yeah right so exactly yeah, yeah. I, I, this is the thing i i you, mm. We actually don't get much of this "told you so" whatever nonsense on strawman. I'm not not giving a plug here, but I think I think the the reason being is that if you feel something, well, then put it mm. on your put it on your portfolio, put it on your yeah. scorecard. It's there, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, don't tell me what you would have done and how it was so obvious, <laughs> and you could have done this, and everyone should have known yeah. that. It's just yeah. like, well, yeah. if you think that, then do it, and I do won't, it. and yeah. that person yeah. will, and and everyone will do yeah. their own thing, and over time, a track record would will will develop. And I think I think that's that's the fantastic thing about it. So it's not it's not about trying to convince other people of whether you're right or wrong. It's just accepting that whatever position you take, there are by definition a whole bunch of other people on the other side of the trade, and good luck to them. Just just know that. You might be the person who's wrong, and if you are, you need to recognise that quickly and and, and act. Yeah. But yeah. but don't 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 feel oh, you know this would have could have should have nonsense really just sort of bugs me a lot on on Twitter and you know anyway it, just, it drives me a bit bit crazy. The the, the other thing I'll say, <laughs> which is just unusual about this, I'm in small cap land, right? Twenty percent yep. falls. That's that's just the Tuesday, right? Like that's <laughs> really don't yeah. even get me started on Bitcoin, yeah. right? Like this is yeah. it's, yeah, it's, right. it's 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 I very, won't, trust me. It's very yawn. <laughs> kind of stuff <laughs> yeah domino's is a fight well was a five billion dollar company right yeah. but that to fall that much is just uh, like yeah. wow that is it is so it is so significant yeah. um it's still note that the pe is on 28 according to comsec or something here so i guess mm-hmm. i guess the the again i haven't done the work so i'm really, really just asking the question and, and sort of making the point that yeah while everything that that you said might be true in terms of the business quality, I've got no reason to doubt it. Actually, given given their history and what I do know of, of the of the business, the next question though is is it like well, uh, it, it things may have dropped a lot, but they can still be mm. expensive, just as things yeah, can absolutely. rise and yes, become cheaper, which is the other complicated yes, part of correct, it. You correct. know, so it's sort of like and to your this is what you were saying before. It may have just been that prior to yesterday's shares were really expensive and now they're just expensive <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right We're, people listening to this going just bloody hell make a you know <laughs> so what is it what do i do and they're yeah, like t- well, tell me exactly what to do it depends isn't yeah it it, it, it it depends scott for you I'll, I'll, i'm not putting words in your mouth for saying it. it is it is i i suspect just just keep holding it's it's good value yeah i haven't done the work so i can't make a firm view on it but my my point would be if you are going to go through it that's mm. exactly what you've outlined is exactly right where's this thing in five years time yes uh what what a what does the current price look like uh, with that with that view in mind? Um, uh, and if it's of reasonable value, buy it. <laughs> Recognising that the market's not going to re- agree with you straight away. That's it. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes, and more often than not, the market's right, so be careful. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. 
Mate, let's let's go to let's go to. So you're talking about billions of dollars, and you mentioned Domino's five billion dollar business losing twenty five percent. Do the maths with me. One and a quarter billion dollars disappears, right? <laughs> um, which is which is interesting in itself. Uh, Flight Center during the week, not one I own. Its sales tripled. Total transaction value. So the way the way these travel agents report, they the revenue their their revenue is just the stuff they get to keep mm-hmm. of the of the tickets they sell. Total transaction. total transaction value is all of the value of the tickets they sell, right? Yep. Even including the stuff they've got to pass over. You buy a hundred. You buy a hundred dollar ticket, but but of that they might make I don't know what it is one one or two bucks, maybe more actually. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Cool. so let's call it five bucks. So hundred bucks is the total transaction value. Five bucks is the revenue they make. Yep. In that in that sort of circumstance. Yeah. Now. I just wanted to speaking of dollars, man. This is I just think this is not even necessarily an investing angle necessarily, but economically, uh, particularly after the last few years, we've just talked about COVID. Fascinating. the The flight center total transaction value was nine point nine billion dollars for the first half. That's that that, that tripled. <laughs> In other words, they added close. To, let's just let's just do round numbers. Six point six billion dollars of additional transactions this year mm-hmm. was last last this financial year last last six months of last year versus the previous year now no surprises there covid blah 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 but it, just the sheer dollar value staggered me mate like if we think about what happened during covid money that was saved money that was spent in industries that were impacted all that kind of stuff to, to, to be able to have 6.6 billion dollars more of transactions on effectively tourism travel than were spent the previous year. And that's just for one travel agent as part of this. Yeah. It just goes to show, it, just, it was just a really fascinating insight for me, how much money sloshes between, and again, these are really unusual times, right? It doesn't happen every year. But the amount of money that kind of went backwards and forwards between being spent elsewhere or saved or something else, and then sloshed all the way back into travel. I don't know what flights in his market share is. Call it, would it be even 10% of travel? In Australia, Jeez, maybe it's called ten for fun. Uh, yeah, I'm not let's sure. just pick a number. Let's, mm. let's say it is ten percent. Let's say it's twenty percent. Let's be let's be a bit more um, uh, conservative. If it's twenty percent, that means there was thirty-three billion dollars worth of money spent on travel in the last six months that wasn't spent the previous six months. They're just extraordinary numbers. As I said, I don't necessarily have a an investing takeaway in and of itself, other than you wondered to yourself, I wonder to myself, where did that money? go and then come from and and again maybe it's government handouts maybe it's money that would, uh, was spent on sofas and tvs or maybe it was saved or maybe it was whatever but i just, I just thought that that the sheer the sheer movement there across those categories was just staggering just uh, staggering big number definitely very very big numbers it, um yeah you do raise an interesting point though with this cycling of of depressed periods you, yeah. you talk. You talk about some of the themes from reporting season. That's that's something else <laughs> I've noticed. You got to. I mean, management are always going to try and put the best story forward. I get they it. Really are. I get it. But you know, on the way down, it was like, oh, one off, unusual times. The rest of it. <laughs> now it's like, oh, profit up thirty four percent. It's like, yeah, yeah. But it's still below where it was in twenty nineteen, and you're comparing correct, it correct. to a period that last year you were saying highly abnormal and don't don't pay too much attention to. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Last year they were comparing it to pre-COVID to show what the the fall wasn't that much. Now it's back up. They're not bothering comparing to pre-COVID. This uh, like, compared to last year, look how good it is. Like, yeah. you know, you're kind of both way, guys. I, I, actually, Adairs reminds me of this. Their results are out um, this week as well. Thirty-four percent lift in sales. Hey, that's fantastic. Well, <laughs> wait a yeah. second. There's, there's, there's two things to that. One, one like in the previous period, you you thirty odd percent of trading days were gone because of store closures. <laughs> That's not a very fair comparison. The I know, other, exactly. The exactly. other one is that I'm, I'm not being I'm not being too critical here. They they did point this out. I'm just I'm just saying you've got to look beyond the headlines here. Um, 
There was also a full six-month contribution from Focus on Furniture, this acquisition they made recently. Well, that, that wasn't yeah. there for the full six yeah. months. So, you know, you, yeah, you, right. you, you do right. have to sort of normalize and account for sort, certain various various things. And um, But, yeah, man, I mean, the, the, these, these, are, these are huge numbers. It's interesting. I think we talk a little bit about uh, moats and competitive advantages. But one that... One that we probably don't talk about enough is is uh, scale advantages. When you're mm. when you're dealing with such huge, huge, huge volumes, I mean, yeah. the, the infrastructure and the fixed cost space that a business like Flight Center needs to accommodate an, an extra, I'll make it up, 30 percent mm. of volume mm. actually isn't in, isn't that much. So you 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 can you can more than sustain all of your costs and t- make a tidy profit. On very thin margins, if if the <laughs> volumes are, are sort of sufficient mm-hmm. enough, yeah. um, uh, and and why that's interesting is because then if anyone else comes in because of that volume advantage you've got or that scale advantage you've got, you can you can operate at much thinner margins that operators that don't have that scale just can't offer at a competitive rate unless they plan to be sort of unprofitable for a while until they sort of get to scale. So it is a nice thing, and I think I think you could probably say that with Flight Center. It's in every single shopping center. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a very significant scale, and I think um, Graham Turner, the, the founder there, has done an incredible job for what is a business that has perpetually been on the on the on the cusp yeah. of of structural disruption due to the internet. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're a physical, you know, largely a physical travel agent it's kind of blows your blows your mind yeah. away in the year 2023 that you know again normalizing and taking out for comsec it's just that, that it's done so well for so long is is yeah. quite remarkable and i think this comes back to something else which is a really great thing to see in a business although an incredibly hard thing to sort of identify in advance is that operational efficiency mm-hmm. and and how uh, and, and i know the business is run incredibly leanly and and um and well, to date, at least very well. So it's 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 um, it's nice to it. We, it's funny we've we so often these days talk about the big tech giants and the rest of it. And today we've talked about you know notwithstanding recent periods, but a pizza maker and a physical travel retailer <laughs> yeah. up, up until recently have been some of the best performing stocks in the yeah. top two hundred. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, again, I've meandered way off course there. Sorry. No, no, I, I like it. Well, uh, you made a point. I just want to. I'll go back to actually. We'll talk about Qantas in a second, but. Um, I think you, know, you do it. Domino's people say, "Oh, Domino's crap pizza," and you know whatever. So, well, other people eat it. Same as Flight Center. I think I haven't. I haven't walked into a Flight Center office since. I, I never I used booked, them. I don't think we, we used Flight Center for our honeymoon back in 2013. Was the last time I walked to 2011. 2011. Okay. 2009. I'm glad my wife's not listening. 2009. I don't think there's much chance she is. But I was doing the maths yeah, wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2009. Um, that was the last time I walked into a flight center and we booked it because I wanted to do it all properly and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, ever since, including trips to Europe, we've just done it all online ourselves and sort of done everything, you know, literally um, piece by piece because it's just easy enough to do and probably felt good enough to do it. But other than COVID, flight center's revenue increased, I'm pretty sure, every single year despite the growth of the internet. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really worth, it's, it's worth putting that point out, mate, because there's we talk a lot about Peter Lynch and the scuttlebutt method right see you know and when you kind of use your own own experience say oh we saw this or we did this and that's that's a really nice way I bought corporate travel management as well things I'd done personally right so that can work but I still own it by the way for disclosure Um, but flight center is is the reverse, right? And, and Scuttlebutt works both ways. Not just what you're doing, but what other people are doing. If you don't notice more people eating Domino's pizzas, you might have said, hey, maybe this business is growing. Even though I, don't, I don't like them, but you other people are doing it. Mm. And the flight center story is exactly that. I've not used it 
for 14 years. Got that right this time. Uh, you haven't, you've probably never used it. Other people use it all the time who are listening, who just say, well, it's free, why wouldn't I do it? And and it's not a case of should, I, should they or shouldn't they? It, it, the value judgment we bring to this stuff just completely doesn't matter. It's a really important point, right? Yeah. So many people want to want to invest along their own tastes or their own, in some cases, political preferences. Mm. I think this should happen, so therefore I'll buy this. Yeah. And I just, I just think it's a really wrong-headed approach to investing, mate, because it doesn't matter whether you use them or not. I've, I used corporate travel management last in 2000 and whatever it was, a long time ago. Um, as at a, a previous employer, haven't used it since, mm. but plenty of people are. They're doing it larger numbers. Sometimes that's well, most of the time that's what you need to know. It doesn't mean you can't necessarily see potential problems happening, mm. but just don't make it self-referencing, right? Unless you are the average person through your entire life, um, there's a very good chance other people are doing things differently. Lavisa is a great example. I, I, you, you'll be surprised. Now, I've never wore costume jewelry. I, I am uh, surprised. But they- <laughs> But they are doing they are doing extraordinarily well. Um, it's a great I've said before I had a mate who would never buy the old Foster's Group because he didn't like VB. It was like, well, dude, I was going to use that example. Matter, yeah, you know? exactly. Right? Yeah. It just does. It just doesn't matter. So, um, just 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 a reminder that you know whatever your life experience, whatever your preferences are, you're welcome to, again. You're welcome to do whatever you want to do. But just remember that as you go through this process. Um, understanding what the who, who are the business's customers if they're not you in the first place fine there's still a business out there Louisa does perfectly well without my business yeah. uh, and so you know if I said well I'm never going to buy costume jewellery or my wife doesn't buy costume jewellery therefore it's it's completely completely irrelevant understanding the market how, how relevant it is for that market how successful it's meeting that market need flight center is a spectacular example since 95 mm. people always say flights are going to be killed by the internet mm. and it may eventually be I, I'm sure there'll be a future where all travel is booked online but it's not been yet in the last almost 30 years. I don't think it's the next 10 years. Maybe it is. Um, but again, you get plenty of time to see that coming as well. Just owning flights in a, again, COVID's kind of put a, a torpedo through any sort of straight line. You can't really look at the trends without that now, but um, it's, it's been extraordinarily successful at just finding a market, serving that market really, really well and doing very nicely for shareholders. Yeah. You, you can be totally right too about disruption and long-term structural tra- trends, <laughs> but it just takes takes yeah. so long. Here's my favorite example is the yellow pages. I think they only stopped delivering that like six, seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. The yellow know. pages, like, oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah. And the white page, yeah. like you remember like, every house would get this massive book. I mean, just, then we just <laughs> Two get- Two books, mate. Two books. Eight of K and the Elder's Ed. <laughs> thrown in the bin at the end of the yep. year or it's yep. straight away in, in most cases. Like it was yep. just, and it, it's laughable, but- and that was always going to happen. Right. I mean, it seems obvious now, but I, I don't. Actually, I yeah. think it's fair to say that lots of people saw the writing on the wall for that years <laughs> out. But yeah. and it, and they were right. But wow, twenty what was it? Twenty fifteen or sixteen when it's finally stopped being delivered. You can still get it, right, by the way. Know. It's still out there. There's still a website, yeah. Yellow Pages, that you can use that people list on, and they make money. I don't know how much money they make, but. <laughs> And I, I remember looking at that going, who on earth? Google, everyone, yeah. you know, yeah. or Bing, yeah. perhaps in the, in the near future. But whatever whatever it happens to be, who's yeah. who's who's going to the Yellow Pages website? I don't know. Someone is. So it's you, you're so right that you have to look past your, your personal bias. I think for me, this is where analysis, financial analysis always starts at the, at the top line and you go down. And there can be a hell of a change in, in story from top line growth to where <laughs> cash ultimately comes yeah, out yes, the, that's, at, at the that's bottom end. True. But it is always a good sign when you see some strong momentum in, in sales because someone's, yeah. someone's buying it. And what I love to see too is when you see existing customers increase their spend, it's often seen on the, on the slide decks as ARPU, ARPU, mm-hmm. average revenue per user. So when you see 
new customer wins and existing customers, well, renewing, retaining the subscription and spending more. Maybe I'm, I've never got any use for geospatial uh, software <laughs> designed for, designed for business. I'm never going to use it. I have no idea. But I know that. But I know that in this instance, someone's using it. I know in the instance of Lavisa that I'm like you. I don't. I don't have. I'm not a big jewelry shopper. But <laughs> hell of a lot of people are buying it, and those yeah. stores are selling. Each individual store, on average, is sending selling more and more. That 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 is a wonderful sign, and and hopefully helps you look past that sort of personal bias. Absolutely, mate. Um, let's let's move to Qantas. Speaking of which, because uh, 1.4 billion dollar profit. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than we gave them as taxpayers. Uh, you're not going to start me on that again. Well, they, well, they, they, yeah. Not only that, but on. they're buying back 500 million worth of shares. So it's like, well, can we have our money back? <laughs> that we gave you. It is. It is remarkable. I, uh, plenty of people have said to me on Twitter and elsewhere, well, we shut them down. The government made a decision to stop travel. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of other businesses that were hurt by, hurt by COVID lockdowns that weren't gifted billions of dollars in, uh, in support. Uh, I, yeah, I, 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 that sticks in my craw pretty significantly. You made the, you made the point, though, uh, this morning as we were talking about our agenda, that uh, there's something about Qantas. Yeah. That, that we, it, it, has this, it has this really interesting place in our, in our national psyche. And I just thought it was worth... I'm, I'm, I'm massive on brands, right? I love branded businesses. I love the power that brands have. It's one of those... Uh, it's really, really ephemeral. But a super super powerful. You only look at Apple or Tesla and say, you know, the mm. margins Apple makes on its products versus versus you know you and I both have Android phones, but you know the margins Apple makes versus I think I think they make more money than the rest of the entire handset market combined. Despite that, globally their share is something like ten percent, right? It's just it's just phenomenal. They've convinced us all to pay a squillion dollars for these special fancy white headphones or and and you know ninety bucks for a keyboard and God knows what else. And it's not, it's not, I'm not even saying it's bad. It's just, it's really, really impressive, right? That they've created this brand that matters. Qantas is that, right? We just have this, we've been flying for 70 years. Maybe, maybe it's just a, maybe it's a story of evolution, right? We just, we're so enamored by the idea of flight. Even though these days there are just squillions of flights going overhead every day. We're so enamored by the idea that the idea of flying generally and Qantas in particular, just this exalted place in the national psyche that, I don't think any else has. I mean, mm. maybe Vegemite, if you want, if you want to go that far. Uh, even then, we let the Yanks buy it. Um, somehow, didn't Bega buy it back in the end? It, they did. Yeah, they did, which yeah. is exciting. Um, <laughs> or is it? Or not? <laughs> to uh, your point, you know, it's, it's, your... Nice, it's nice. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, I, I like the Vegemites Australian, but you know, we kind of like it a little bit. But then, when it comes to like airlines and Qantas in particular, it's like, oh, this thing is just I st- like I don't know if anything's, anything's as exalted yeah. as as Qantas, the national carrier. It's weird. I don't really get it. I mean, in a way, I get it. Like, if you've been traveling overseas and you catch a Qantas flight home, and the yeah. steward is is Aussie accent, and you, you do, you, <laughs> you know, you, you do get that sort of ah, oh, you know, I'm on my way home kind of feel to it. But it's just a, it's a corporate, it's a corporation, for profit business. Um, I, I don't I don't know that it deserves the special treatment that it that it that it does and that it gets. Um, one thing that really drives me crazy is anytime they they launch a new plane or something, the press is all over it, giving them free publicity. Like what? <laughs> like it doesn't yeah, happen yeah. with the other airlines as much. I just yeah. you're right. I, I can't. And maybe 
the practical way to deal with that is just say, well, again, whether or not you get it, that's just how it is. And all else being equal, perhaps that adds a little bit of an edge of a premium, what you might otherwise sort of value this this thing at. For me, it's got a very low valuation. So it's not going to, that, that viewpoint's not going to move move the dial. But yeah, it's a certain je ne sais quoi, as the French would say. What does je ne sais quoi mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no follow-up questions, please. <laughs> I reject the premise of your question. Just a question. Um, Trying to sound yeah, sophisticated no, here, mate. <laughs> but but and like again, I've got to say, Alan Joyce gets a lot of grief from a lot of people, and I'm I'm not even going to weigh into the specific decisions. But he has done a remarkable job, remarkable job in in getting us all to pay a squillion dollars for tickets, getting the taxpayer to bail Qantas out every time there's a problem, mm-hmm. uh, delivering for shareholders, and as you say, buying back half a billion dollars worth of shares. It, it, is, it sticks in my craw, mate. I, I, the Australian taxpayer got absolutely diddled on this one. Yeah. Um, just just straight out, absolutely diddled. We, you know, we, we, we threw a lot of money. They said, thanks very much, and they gave it back to their shareholders. And you go, well, that was just... That was just yeah. I don't. I don't know how that's even. I mean, that, that was the Polly's fault. Um, that was absolutely the Polly's totally fault. Was. I mean, like, oh, yeah. you, you've got it's to look. You've, to try. <laughs> you've got to look at it with a certain degree of admiration <laughs> and say, yeah, as a business, as a business oh, operator, yes, that yes. that you were able to pull that lever. Like, yep. I, you're all right. My business, we don't have that opp- opportunity. It's like, oh, it's really tough. Can you see a straw? It's like, oh, yes, everyone loves yeah. straw man. It's a part of it's a national treasure. You have some money. And, <laughs> yeah, and then when we, right. we get through it all, we- straw man going? You know, yeah. it's, it's just, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing that they can do that. So I, I, I made the point before is that it, I think even if there wasn't a legitimate argument to sort of provide some assistance, and maybe there was- <laughs> Just deal with some strings uh, attached, right? Like, oh, totally. They're, they're on the floor with a bloody nose. Yeah. You yeah, get yeah, to call the yeah. show. So you basically say, look, yeah. guys, we're going to bail you out here, but, you know, this comes with strings attached. You've got to pay us back or so whatever whatever the conditions yep. happen to be. Yep. But it was yep. just, here you go. No questions asked. And, and it's incredible. So good good, good, on, good, yeah. on, good on them for doing it. And if, if you're a considering or an investor or considering investing in Qantas, perhaps <laughs> the fact that they can do that makes, yeah, it, makes, right. makes it worth a little bit more than it otherwise would be. Well, a lot more. Well, yeah, a lot more. Literally, they would, they would have gone. They would have gone broke. Yeah. Had, had the government bailed them out, they would have gone broke. Now let's see. So, like, I want know. to play that through, though. Let's say that 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 yep. did happen. What yep. what would have happened? Well, someone else would have come in and bought them out. They would have continued the brand because the brand has a lot of value. Yeah, the, the planes don't Virgin? disappear. Virgin effectively went into bankruptcy. Yeah. And then was was that was bought out of bankruptcy by private equity. It's exactly what happened. Joe Bloggs right, out there booking well. his tickets doesn't know. It's Virgin. Yep. I don't know. It's still yep. there. And it, yep. it, it would still be here. You know, a bunch yes. of investors would have lost a bunch of money, but welcome to investing. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, everything would have continued on. Um, with, with one exception. I think it's also true to say that Anset went broke and wasn't rescued by anybody because they, they, they tried and it just didn't work. So, uh, But I, we, I didn't miss we, a be- we didn't miss a beat in terms of no, true, our access true, true. to air travel and the rest true. of it. So, you know, I'm just saying we shouldn't assume that Qantas will necessarily exist just because someone might someone might buy it, probably would because it's Qantas. Yeah. But the same thing happened to Anset and it did go broke. And again, true. I'm that's not saying that's, that's even, I'm not saying that's necessarily even a bad thing. It's not, I mean, terrible for shareholders but and, and employees. So, you know, it was bad in that sense. But from a, from a capitalism perspective, I'm, it's not bad, but I, we shouldn't just assume it'll continue at, at nauseam, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the, that is the key point here. This, yeah. is, this is one of these harsh realities, but really important design elements of capitalism yeah. <laughs> is that you need... You, you need there needs to be pain on the way down. Doesn't it doesn't work? It doesn't work without pain on the way down. It leads to all kinds of problems. So it's not yeah. that you know you want to be too uh, too much of a um, be too uh, punitive. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be too. And that 
that all corporations are evil and should suffer and rah, 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 but it just, <laughs> it, 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 it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just that, that socialism on the way down and capitalism on the way up is just, again, <laughs> you talk about things that stick in your craw. It's like, well, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the system. That's, that's why we, we generally see improved products and services and standards of living because the weak, fail and the strong survive <laughs> and the person with the better product or the better service wins market share and we all society levels up as a, as a consequence of that if done properly but whenever you keep zombie companies alive it kind of gets in the way so it's kind of you know but it's always it's always remarkable to me that those that are more right-leaning on the political spectrum seem to be the first to, to hand out cash for a lot of these big you know corporate corporate uh, what is it called corporate welfare to the to the big guys mm. anyway so speak, speaking of speaking of uh, bagging big corporations make a lot of money, how about the banks and supermarkets? <laughs> this week we had, I think it was this week CBA was out. Certainly Woolies and Coles are out this week, both with profit growth in the mid teens. Uh, at exactly the time that banks are telling us rates are going up and supermarkets are telling us the price is going up and it's inflation, we're really sorry. Mm. Um, I I find this one I find this challenging in general, mate. I wrote about this during the week. Uh, I should say, actually, quickly, let's take a quick break. Um, if you are not yet following us, do follow us on Twitter. We just talked about Twitter before. I, I tweeted this and I put this on my Facebook page. So uh, let's do a bit of a Twitter ad. Follow Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon. Follow Strawman at Strawman Invest. You can follow me at TMF Scott P on Insta and Twitter. Or you can follow me uh, as forward slash Scott Phillips Money on Facebook. Uh, Meta's apparently rolling out a verification thing. I will do that when it comes up because I get spoof accounts a lot of the time. So, mm. But for the moment, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. Make sure it's really me. Um, you can... So I, I tweeted about this during the week. The On one hand... Uh, we don't I don't want I don't think it's right to have governments telling companies how much money they can raise how, what they can do with prices I think that's price caps and that kind of stuff is a one way ticket to as you said the reverse of that which is you know uh, you've got to have consequences on the way down but equally you want to give them the opportunity on the way up I think both of those are both of those are important parts of the system on the other hand you said the phrase working properly and I guess I'm wondering if you've got two big supermarkets that control 85% of some food categories who can both make double-digit profit gains at a time when, in theory, they're apologizing to us for putting prices up during a period of high inflation. They're I, my, my firm view, a lot of listeners will disagree with this, my firm view is they're entitled to put prices up as far as much as their customers will allow. But as a result of that, customers then, if competition is working, will choose where to shop. Now, I used to work for a coffee company and I was thinking about this the other day. They they provide coffee to, to cafes, and this is it was it was always a really really competitive market. Brand meant something, but not all that much. And you'd 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 go and compete on the price per kilo of coffee. Yeah. I'll do you a contract if you take my coffee for a year, I'll give it to you at X dollars a bag or X dollars a kilo, I should say. And if you have if you use certain amounts, other coffee companies well, like I'll give you this price. And you'd say, well, ours is a bit worth a bit more because our brand's better than theirs. And and the competition worked, right? You couldn't just charge any price because they simply changed coffee brands. Yeah, and that's that. That's where it works. And it worked. It was super, super competitive. Beautiful market. Uh, that particular company I won't name, but they effectively broke even on that coffee business because it was all about the brand and the competition was so was so good that the consumer won, the cafe won. Probably the cafe won given the price of coffee, but you know. Um, but if we but if we bring that to the supermarkets and the banks, mate, if inflation is going up, if business is getting tougher, if people are choosing differently with their money, and yet they can make double digit profit gains. Is this business as usual? Is this 
fine? Is this broken competition? Does this require government regulation? What do you do about a problem uh, like supermarket profits and bank profits? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to to argue that there there isn't oligopoly oligopoly type advantages. Um, <laughs> Oligopolistic, I think. Oh, thank you. Gosh, I really struggled with that one. I had to think um, about it. I'm glad you went first. Like, uh, did Olig- the syllables Olig- in my head? Oligopolistic. Yes, Olig- I can't, still can't do it. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, but it, isn't it amazing though? Because I I find myself doing this as well. You know, a bank account is largely a commodity product, right? Because we, once with certain with the banking license comes certain privileges that that go with that in terms of government support guarantees, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes fair, a fair way down the chain. Not not every institution gets this, but if I'm if I'm just after a, a savings account, if I'm after a home loan, if I'm after the things that ninety percent of people use and want banks for, there's a lot of better value that's out there. You're always banging on about this on Twitter, <laughs> rightly so. Me? Like, yeah. Me? No, I'm saying it. I'm saying <laughs> banging it, on on Twitter. I'm, me? <laughs> say it in a good way, right? Like get a better oh, rate. I see, I see. Call, call call up and and but but. People don't. The inertia is is, is incredible. That that I, I don't I don't have a good explanation uh, uh, for it. But they get to enjoy profits that that are far higher than you would expect for what is a, essentially a, a fairly vanilla product um, in a very com- com- competitive place. And uh, so I so the answer. But the, the question is the follow up question you had is does that mean that we put government regulation in place i don't know i think that's that's where things get a little bit tricky because trouble with too much regulation there's unintended consequence in fact yeah. in a roundabout way i would argue that some of the competitive strengths the cba and nab and the others mm. enjoy is because people wanting to do well introduced a bunch of regulation and stuff yeah the the, the ironic upshot of it is mean that it's just so many hubes and costs mm. for the small players to jump through that it actually mm. reduces competition. It just becomes a bit of a cost of doing business for the other guys mm. and they can go mm. on and maintain uh, excessive pro- profits as a result of it. So th- there, there is, I think there, there are things that could be done to remove a lot of the bureaucracy, a lot of the red tape, while still maintaining important consumer protections and all the rest of it. But the government shouldn't so much regulate bank sizes or regulate regulate the amount of profit that they have. That's a very slippery slope, and I think that's that, that's very dangerous. But they should facilitate the the, um, the entrance of new competitors as much as they can to clear the way, because then, then the market system will do its thing. I would. Argue. Yeah, I think I I find it really I find it really it's really difficult, mate, because. I, I think it's, you're right. And this is the, the flip side of what you talked about before. We started talking about scale, or halfway through talking about scale and some of those retailers, for example, that have that scale to use. It's one of the one of the inherent challenges with capitalism is that competition, when you're better, you get bigger. And the bigger you get, the more you, pressure you can exert to the point where capitalism tends towards monopolies or oligopolies. It just kind of does, right? And I think that's, that's even, even without the regulation, that's just kind of how these things go because scale is its own advantage. And the guy that gets big first tends to win. We see this with every new industry, right? The buy now, pay later is happening right in front of our eyes. The little guys are going broke and falling over. And, and, and the, the first movers that get big fast win fast. Facebook, 
great example. Social network, everyone's there. Big, fast, you know, it doesn't even need regulation from a government. Just just the way these things tend to, not mm, in every industry, but frankly, most. Yeah. Uh, at least local monopolies, if, if you don't, if you don't tend to scale, even things like you know cement makers or brick makers, I own shares in Brickworks, right? You can't have so many brick pits in an area before there's a local monopoly because it just makes sense. You can't have, or profitably, two players. The guy that gets there first gets big first, wins the game. Yeah, you don't, so you don't want ten providers of an electricity network, right? Right, right. And <laughs> so you kind of it, get, it gets to that point. It tends to that point. So you want something that preserves or promotes competition. Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether we should be looking at the way we allow mergers and acquisitions for, for larger companies for exactly that reason. It just it promulgates that power so strongly. Oh, I own some businesses that are very large. Domino's is a great example, right? It's gone from tiny, back to that, gone from tiny to, to massive. It's done some acquisitions, but largely it just got better. It was just better than Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut, when I was a kid, was the pizza place. Well, someone or Domino's like, what are you ordering that for? Everyone else has Pizza Hut. It was, I can't tell you, you know this, and people older than us will know this, but the change in brand preference over that last 40 odd years has been phenomenal literally almost the entire switch you know from what it must have been 90% pizza at some point mm-hmm. now I'd be lucky to be 5% pizza I would assume um, I can still remember the bloody ads for pizza with the, you know, remember the in Sydney at least it was 48111 was oh, the phone right. number yeah. and you can still remember right so it's it changes dramatically um, I'm not sure I'm not sure that the banks and supermarkets are doing anything wrong in and of themselves. They are entitled to and frankly probably even obliged to make money for their shareholders as long as it's creating long-term value rather than short-term profitability. Um, but I do think the role of promoting and maintaining competition has probably been underplayed. Uh, as a shareholder, I'd be more than happy for my company to make monopolistic profits, but I'm not sure for everybody's sake, including, by the way, the rest of the system. If, I, if I'm, if I'm spending more on groceries than I have to, I'm not spending that money somewhere else. So it's not, these are victimless crimes, right? This is, the, the reduction of competition really does matter and makes a, makes a meaningful difference. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, it's, look, there's no easy answers for any of these things. Um, yeah. What I would say with the banks though, it's interesting, you, you, you said that they made a record result, you know, cash profit up 9%, $5.1 billion. Uh, just to come full circle where we started the app, the share price went from $110 to $99 very quickly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, res, in response to that as well. So, um, right, right. Yeah. Uh, again, it's always about the future. Um, so, they, even even with some of the privileged positions that these, these guys have got, um, I think people are, are looking forward. And um, yeah, I'm still on the record of saying I think that they're, they're too expensive. I want to finish that by talking about something similar, which is the remarkable success of a little business that most people haven't heard of. It's called John's Lang Group. JLG is the code. I don't own these shares. I've never recommended the shares. John's Lang Group. Uh, its its shares were up 16% this week on a, uh, a big jump in sales. Big jump in sales and a big jump in profit. Now, these guys do. These guys are a construction company. Now, if I told you a construction company increased well, so if I started, went backwards and said, hey, what's the construction industry doing right now? I, well, I won't ask what you would have said. I would have said, things are pretty tough. Uh, supply is limited. Inflation's going up. Uh, hard, to get, hard to get business done. Economy's slowing down. It's probably going to be a tough old time for construction. That, that'd, be, that'd be the starting point. And then I said, well, actually, funnily enough, John's Ling Group had a 63% increase in profit and they're, they're a construction company. I would have rightly said, well, that sounds unlikely and unreasonable and what the hell's going on? And I wanted to highlight this, mate, just for, just for we talk a lot about macro and we do it for the right reasons and hopefully it's useful and interesting for our, for our listeners. Sales are up 71% for John's Ling Group. And 
the point I want to make is is a couple of things. One is small is beautiful, and you're you're a very you know loud proponent of that idea. The other is just to remember that while macro does macro things, it doesn't mean that companies need to follow that particular trend, particularly if they're smaller businesses or working in very particular niches. Now, John's Lean Group uh, provides construction services, but I think almost entirely, uh, certainly very largely, uh, for insurance companies. Mm. These guys do insurance reconstruction remediation. Now, even that industry isn't growing particularly strongly, but John's Lean Group have made themselves, they've found themselves a niche in the market. They've said, hey, we want to be part of the insurance company's value chain. We are going to go in, a bit like um, some uh, smash repairers do this. They say, hey, sign us up as the, your preferred subcontractor for this work. We'll go and do it for you. We'll look after you. We'll put systems in place to help it. It'll work really nicely. We'll, we'll effectively, as I said, literally make ourselves, you know, we'll, uh, almost, almost parasitically make, make ourselves part of your value chain. And so when you've got work to do to fix, the, and we've had plenty of national, natural disasters, we will be part of that solution. Now, I don't know this company super well, so I'm not saying you should buy it or not buy it. Uh, and a couple of guys at the Motley Fool do like this one, but I, I have no informed view personally. Other than just to say, if you said the economy is slowing, construction is going to be weak. By the way, these guys had a 70% growth in sales. <laughs> it's just a reminder that things happen differently in different niches, different parts of the market. And you don't need to just look at the macro and say, the macro is X, therefore all companies must do Y. Mm. I think we know that instinctively. But back to the conversation we kind of started with, um, the, the, the impact of certain economic outcomes, realities, can be very, very different on different businesses. And understanding that as a starting point, I think it's really important. Yep. I really like businesses that are, that go deep and narrow into a into a niche. You know, we, we do this, we do it really well. Yeah. No, no, no. I know we, we sort of sound like those guys over there, but we're not. We don't do that. You know, uh, it, yep. it, it, it is trying to be everything to everyone is, is, is <laughs> it's harder to think of too many better ways to destroy a business <laughs> you know yeah you, well, you particularly, particularly if you're particularly if the industry is already pretty consolidated yeah. right there's no shortage of 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 construction businesses out there yeah if you're going to be a general construction business number 438 yes trying to find your way in that world is going to be i mean if you if you're the first grocer woolies and coles got massive because they were everything to everybody but they're the first people to do it so they kind of yeah. there was an issue at some point that became you know the dominant part of the industry but as you say, if you if you find that niche, what is it? Would you say narrow and deep? Deep and narrow. Yep. Yeah. You, just just focusing on the thing that that you do well, and the, I think when if you're in a business, um, I think one of the most important things you should come back to again and again is just that what is it that we do better than than our competitors yeah. in this broad industry? You know what what is what is we can do this. We've got the expertise to do this, and we could do that as well. Uh, we've got some resources where we could perhaps go over here, or maybe. But what is it that we're that we have the unfair advantage in, or yes, right. maybe right, it's not right. unfair, but you know, we just, we just, yeah. this is our strength, right? And I think that sort of sets the direction for strategy. You, you have to yeah. be very clear of that. Buffett talks all the time about, you know, it doesn't matter how big your circle of confidence is, but knowing where the boundary is is, is, <laughs> is vital. But from an yeah, investor's point of view, but it's from a business's point of view as well. Um, and I can think of a few examples of companies that have, have had stumbles that, that I own. It's generally because they went into a market they shouldn't or into a category that they or a vertical that they that they shouldn't have and they've they've blown up a bunch of money and you've actually seen the core part of the business that attracted you in the first place continue just to hammer away and just do perfectly fine it's just that now it's masked by this and and management are completely not just spread thin but completely distracted by trying to put out fires <laughs> that didn't exist before so yeah. i think made is made a group's another good example um these guys okay. sort of provide 
engineers um, uh, and do repairs for uh, mining services kind of work um, right, right. and and uh, like actually the sector as a whole is not doing too bad but they've very much found a, a particular niche in there where we took a lot of work away from the original equipment manufacturers but had a scale where they're above sort of the the, the smaller independent chop shops and and have just mm. have just exploited that really really well and every company talks about culture but they're kind of bit of a religion over there and they have to go out of their way <laughs> to really because again their assets are people so it, mm. it's it's nice to do but they're doing it because they re- recognize that that's that's the strength that they have is is good people and attracting them and retaining them is is very good anyway i think it's a very interesting company and it's it speaks to what you're talking about yeah i just i just think it's i just think it's worth thinking about uh, look, you know, if you know an industry, these guys obviously know the industry really well, and they've got, hey, we've got this skill set, but where we can, re- where is the growth potential? Well, if we were to go to this company and say, we can do this for you, would you like that? Mm-hmm. And they said, yes, please. And we said, okay, how do you want us to do it? And they said, well, do these things. And we said, okay, we'll do those things. Will you use more of our business? Yeah, we will. Okay, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's like it's really, it sounds really, really obvious, and it, and it is to some degree. You got to be really good to work it out, by the way. And and, and these guys are still a, a super low margin business. Like this is not, you know, there, there's still plenty of risk in this business. I'm not saying by John's link. Let me say really, really clearly. I'm not saying you should do it. Uh, maybe you should. Uh, but they did, you know, six hundred million dollars in revenue and made a profit of thirty four million dollars, a five percent margin. Mm-hmm. Not terrible, but not great. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, just uh, but they've just done a really nice job of saying the category does X. We can do better than that by doing a very specific thing really well. Yep. Uh, to your point, yeah, this this narrow and deep, and, and finding that and exploiting that. I think there's plenty of opportunities. I've used the example before, mate. Flexi Group, the old oh yeah, called Hum, I think, or something. Um, the, the 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 buy now pay later before there was one, right? The forty eight month interest free Harvey Norman stuff. Mm. These guys grew right through the GFC. And they did it simply because they said, well, okay, retail sales are down, but we're just going to take more and more share of those retail sales. Mm-hmm. Now, if, you know, if retail sales are backwards by one percent. But you take your market share from one percent to five percent. Well, guess what? You know that the five x growth in market share well and truly offsets the one percent decline in the total industry size. It just it just does. And so those not every small business can win, by the way. But just a reminder that there are businesses out there that are doing a really nice job of growing despite the macro. Mm-hmm. And you know you, you want the macro in your favor, ideally, because you, you love both. But if you just if you just find that little niche and take it out and take it out and take it out, um, then it can be really really profitable. Just just a, a different way to think about it. Given we talk so much about macro, uh, literally ignoring the macro where you can. Well, these can't ignore the macro. They are the market, right? Mm-hmm. The banks are the market. Mm-hmm. But if you can go and find a way, buy now pay later. Arguably even the same, right? I don't love the idea. Don't necessarily love the companies or the, the prices, but same kind of idea, right? You know, <laughs> retail sales are were, were flat-ish, um, particularly during the pandemic, right? What happened? Buy now, pay later. Because you need to take on more and more and more customers. Why? Because they could. Mm. And they did a really nice job of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we've flogged that Love horse, it. mate, have we? Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And I'm going to ask you whether you will come back on Sunday. But when I do, I'm going to ask you if you can have a think for me about how we're going to solve the problem of superannuation. Oh. Can we talk about that on Sunday? <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm here to solve problems. <laughs> if nothing else. Taking names. and what's it, What's that line? I don't know. Which one? Anyway, will you come out of that? Some, taking names and something, something. What's that? Uh, I don't that? know. I don't know. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I've got, got nothing. On that illustrious note, let's finish up, mate. Uh, let's reconvene on Sunday and solve the problem of super. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. 
The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.